Hello, listeners. I hope you are safe and well. It's just you and me this episode, and we'll be chatting with Richard Edelman, creator of the annual Edelman Trust Barometer. Richard will share his thoughts on the importance of trust in leadership and institutions in this time of uncertainty. I'm Ashley Marshawn Orm, and this is Future Fluency, a podcast by the National Association of Corporate Directors, where we explore the changing face of America through the lens of innovation and culture and their impacts on business. We're continuing our theme on leadership in times of crisis. But for this episode, our perspective on leadership will be based on a survey of public perceptions. We'll cover some of the key themes of the 2020 Edelman Trust Barometer Spring Update aptly named Trust and the COVID-19 Pandemic. Richard, thank you so much for talking with us today. First, can you start by telling us about the Spring 2020 update to the Edelman Trust Barometer? Why did your firm decide to do it and what topics does it cover? So Edelman's been doing the Trust Barometer for 20 years. Um, We classically launch it at the end of January at the World Economic Forum. And we've done it this last year in 28 countries. And We talked to 35,000 people, and we had elites, 75K plus income, and college plus educated, and four plus media a day, and then the mass population, so 15% and 85%. And we did the study in October, November, and we released the data in January. So the world has changed so profoundly that we were convinced that we had to go back out and take a look and see whether the trends had confirmed or had changed. And so that's what we did. We went out last week of April and early May, and here we are presenting the data. So we look at trust in business, government, uh, media, and NGOs. We ask about trust in CEOs versus scientists versus journalists. We ask about trust in various forms of media, various industry sectors. So it's quite broad. Great. Now, the spring update to the Trust Barometer had more than 13,000 respondents in 11 countries, Canada, China, France, Germany, India, Japan, Mexico, Saudi Arabia, South Korea, the UK, and the US. And I'd like to start with a question to frame our conversation. Why is trust important in a time of uncertainty like this? Trust makes societies function. It makes it able, it makes it able to do commerce. It makes you able to believe what uh, government is telling you. And it's based on a feeling of mutuality and a consistency of information flow and facts instead of ideology being the basis of communication. And could you share with us a couple of key headlines from this latest update to the trust barometer? It looks like trust in business, NGOs, the media and government has increased since January. Well, in a stunning reversal, government is now the most trusted institution. It uh, jumped across every country we studied. We studied 11 countries this time, four in Asia, three in North America, three in uh, Europe. And again, the rise of government to being the most trusted institution is a shocker because we've never seen that before. It was always some other business or NGOs or somebody. Also, the extent of trust in government. Government's okay to lock me down. Government's okay to take my data so that I can track me and reduce the risk of COVID. And uh, government is the best source of information and government is the best source of financial 
bailout. So it's time for big government. So people seem to really see that this pandemic is a place where the government plays an important role. 65% of people responding to your global survey say that they trust the government. And as you shared, that's up 11 percentage points from January to May of this year. And we've got a tie for second place. That 62% of people surveyed for the May update of the trust barometer said they trust NGOs, and 62% of people say they trust business. Well, government in the U.S. was pretty well flatlined because Democrats had declining trust in the federal government and Republicans had rising trust. The U.S. has something quite unusual, which is uh, an Alice in Wonderland of political context. We have Republicans with very high trust in the federal government, Democrats quite low. Uh, Democrats rely a lot on state and local government. Also, Democrats think the media is very credible, more than two-thirds, and the Republicans have 35% trust in media. So again, it's really through two ends of the looking glass. The big new factor is the state and local government. So Andrew Cuomo or Gavin Newsom or J.B. Pritzker, who are doing frequent briefings and are faced are the face to the public as much as President Trump or Dr. Fauci. And that's a new factor, the sort of federal approach as opposed to the central control. And on a related note, as we're thinking about what trust in government looks like, specifically at the state and local levels, my mind turns to a lot of the restrictions on movement that have been put in place around the world to try to slow the spread of COVID-19. What did your research find around perceptions of those pandemic-related movement restrictions? Well, that there's three-quarters acceptance of the lockdown and two-thirds acceptance of uh, classic invasions of privacy related to cell phone data. Everybody is willing to take on face value that this is a necessity given the severity of the crisis. And we all just want to know that it's worth it in the end. And so I think that there's a potential for a bubble here that, uh, in fact, trust in government will not be so high in the uh, survey that we release next January and that uh, there's more likely blame game between business and government about who caused this to go back too quickly and why the outbreaks continue and why is unemployment still so high. So this is all to be played out in the next period. Aside from government now being the institution trusted more than NGOs, business, and the media, were there any additional findings that were particularly surprising this time around? Well, the unbelievable low rating for CEOs. 29% believe that CEOs are doing an outstanding job in the pandemic relative to academics or scientists or others in the 50s. So it's a real warning sign. Also that uh, business is, is not getting high marks for taking care of its employees or providing necessary products or even giving a construct of how business is going to be able to uh, be carried on uh, in a return to work context. So that's a big set of uh, things for business to cover in this important period of the next three months of return to work. Yes, this latest update to the trust barometer had a strong focus on public perceptions of business, and more specifically, business leaders, CEOs, to be exact. 
Overall, how does public perception of business during this pandemic compare to public perception of business and what we might consider more normal times? Well, CEOs had been coming straight up the rank and the activist CEOs, Kevin Johnson of Starbucks, for example, on sustainability and what happened after Philadelphia's crisis. And he became very, very well known. And so CEOs have completely kept their heads down the last three or four months. Uh, It's been remarkable. Here's a stat of 400 op-ed articles in the Washington Post, New York Times, and uh, Wall Street Journal in the last four weeks. Only two have been by CEOs. The rest by scientists, government officials, others, academics. So CEOs are, are remarkably quiet, and they need not to do that. They need to be public leaders. That's a great segue for this next question. We've spent the last several episodes of the podcast discussing themes around leadership in times of crisis and uncertainty. Can you go into a little more detail around how CEOs are meeting the expectations of the public and where might they need to improve? Business leaders need to come up with a construct for business that makes sense. So I wear a mask to go on the airplane. I get my temperature checked before I go to the hotel. I have uh, serious A, B teams uh, in the office, so it's less density on a open plan floor. I have a closure of the cafeterias. I have um, make sure that um, in the production of um, products that you've got separation between the workers with plastics. It just has to make sense, and it has to be explained before you show up to work again, because otherwise people are going to be nervous. And, and fear is a bigger problem than the truth of difficulty. I just read a great book over the weekend called The Great Influenza of 1918 by John Barry. And uh, I'm actually writing my blog about it. And his big argument is that the U.S. completely failed on giving adequate information to people. You raise such an interesting point, which brings me to my next question. I know that your trust barometer update looked at public perception of the business community's competency to protect essential workers and prepare for post-crisis recovery. What are some of those findings? Well, business has always had the advantage of being seen as competent. There may be some questions about how ethical we are, but we get stuff done. And some people, Walmart's getting stuff done and, and FedEx is delivering packages and Taco Bell is making tacos uh, and having them delivered. But in many cases, business is seen as having failed the twin tests of taking care of the employees well and making sure that its products are in frequent supply and, and available. So we have work to do on the competence score. Another topic that I find quite interesting is that of who the public sees as having expertise right now. It seems that this would be especially important during a time of crisis. Your survey, of course, provides some insights on who the public trusts as experts. So what's the narrative there? People always opt for scientists, doctors, those with credentials. The interesting finding in this time is a person like yourself, an average person has less credibility even if that person is near to you, like a family member. You want the credentials. Uh, What you don't want is you don't want something that's politicized. You just want the facts. 
So that's the challenge for government people. Make it objective. The responsibility of leadership is the truth. And there's no uh, kind of shelter for you in not knowing or speculating. We, we should limit our remarks to that which we know. And if we don't know, we should say we're speculating. That's great. And we're planning to dive into a deeper discussion about truth in our next episode. That said, given everything going on, both in the report and just in the world in general, what's keeping you up at night? I just want to be sure that we have a accurate flow of information to the public and that it's not just somebody brainstorming about um, use of uh, products like Hydrochloroquine, um, for instance, has been proven to not be effective. Uh, three weeks ago, it was a miracle drug. And there, there was also um, you know, speculation about anything from being outdoors to bleach. Or this, this weakens the public's trust because we shouldn't be brainstorming in front of the public. We, we can brainstorm all we want, but we need to give them a set of facts so that they can act. and. People are willing to endure almost anything if they can know that it's truth. And that's my obsession every day. And I want my clients to give both sides. I want them to speak to their people. I want them to use experts. And I want them also to be out there helping the 30 million people who are now unemployed in America. Because that's this, this, this mass class divide is something also that keeps me awake. People aren't people aren't eating enough. People aren't aren't healthy. You have to fix this stuff. For our listeners, we're going to spend a bit more time in this interview and in next week's episode talking about the importance of having accurate information. And clearly, it's important for business leaders at both the board and C-suite levels to have accurate information as they continue to make decisions and plans that impact the enterprise's stakeholders. We'll continue our interview with Richard in just a moment, but we're going to briefly hear from one of our content partners on the topic of scenario planning. Andrew Blau serves as Managing Director and U.S. Leader for Signature Issues at Deloitte. Andrew, thank you for joining us. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Andrew, there's so much uncertainty right now about how the future might play out for business across every industry. How can business leaders prepare for such an unpredictable future? It's a big challenge for boards right now. How can their organizations prepare for a future that no one can predict? The good news is that there are tools that leaders can use to think through what could be coming, stress test their plans, and then spot options they may not have been thinking about. One approach that leaders are turning to is scenario planning, and boards and executive teams are using it to explore how COVID-19 could accelerate certain trends or change the course of what they'd expected. Now, it's important to remember that scenarios are not predictions. Uh, They're not predictions about what will happen, but they're carefully crafted stories designed to help envision what the world could look like in the next couple of years. They allow leaders to think through a range of possibilities and challenge old assumptions. For example, we've already seen big changes in many industries, such as uh, mostly remote workforce. But what societal and business impacts might stick, even in a scenario where the pandemic is contained relatively soon? What new routines might really become permanent? Or what could it mean if large companies take a central role in leading the recovery? But there are other scenarios to consider. I mean, what might it mean if countries such as China come out of the pandemic as stronger global players? 
And what about a future where there are multiple waves of the virus, where going virtual is not just convenient, but maybe the safest option for longer than we expect? We've been exploring what these scenarios could mean for business leaders and how to prepare for a world remade by COVID-19. Just because we can't predict doesn't mean we can't prepare to thrive no matter what's coming next. Thank you, Andrew. It's good to hear from you. Stay well. Thanks, Ashley. Thanks for having me. Now, as we pick up our conversation with Richard Edelman, we'll delve right back into discussing the importance of business leaders getting accurate information. Richard, you bring up a really important issue, that of where we get our information. It's frighteningly easy these days to broadcast inaccurate information as though it were true. But being able to trust information means we need to be getting it from the right sources. Actually, I have a really yeah. hot one for you. How about this? Yeah. If you have ice cream, it opens your throat in such a way because it's cold that it <laughs> makes COVID, um, it makes you more eligible to get COVID. What a bunch of BS that is. But that lie got around the world from Malaysia from some mid-level government person and ice cream sales dropped. What a joke. I mean, that's just an indicator of how 10 times fake fake news is is shared 10 times more often than real real news. And that's a disgrace. And frankly speaking, that's on us. We should always ask whether something that seems bizarre is bizarre. That's frightening. We've got to factor in where we're getting our information from and consider how we're filtering it to decide what is real and what's not. What sources of information are you looking to to help make decisions these days? My first reads in the morning are Axios, Politico, Fortune, uh, CEO, email. I read FT, first FT. Uh, I also read Deal Book by New York Times. I read the top 10 from the Wall Street Journal list from the CEO or editor-in-chief. And then you know, during the day, I'm, I'm constantly getting bulletins and other from wire services and et cetera. So I'm, I guess, pretty traditional media. And we won't wade too deeply into information sources, but let's take a step back and consider some of the trends and trust that we've been discussing. It does seem that the current level of trust across the globe is fairly high compared to where we usually are. The question then is, is this level of trust sustainable and what could compromise it? I think it's like lifeboats uh, coming off the Titanic. They sure are a lot better than the cold water. Uh, And and so I I think now the task is going to be to row to safety. And that's a lot bigger task. So I think we're in a bit of a false uh, positive kind of environment for trust. And I believe that when the cold realities of unemployment and persistence of this disease uh, are, are present, we're going to have declining trust levels from this peak. So count me on the castles in the sky kind of crowd on this trust level. <laughs> yep. And in a time like this, when people are searching for context to help them understand the pandemic and what we're experiencing, is there any historical context that you've found helpful? I know you mentioned that you were reading a book about uh, the influenza outbreak and how that's impacted the United States in the past. Is there a through line that can help us put this pandemic into perspective? That book is passionate about um, the importance of funding uh, scientists, especially basic science uh, and public health, but also about the necessity of government acting responsibly in 
telling people the truth. So one example in the book is the city of Philadelphia had long planned a uh, drive to sell war bonds and they didn't want to cancel it. And they had all sorts of soldiers in town. Well, of course, soldiers were actually the um, messengers of the disease because they had come from army bases where they were overcrowded. And so they're marching in the parade and the disease had been limited to the military. And then it explodes into Philadelphia. 4,500 people die in one day. And the tragedy of that, and similarly in Wuhan, where in China, they celebrated Communist Party Day, whatever, uh, in, in December or January. And then the following weeks, it exploded again. So the point is, caution is not weakness. Caution is smart. And we need to get that in our heads. So one last question. Since we like to end our episodes on a high note, if we can, where are you finding hope these days? I find hope in the work that we're doing. So we, we've been, been helping Unilever on something called uh, the Day of Service. And it's under the rubric of United for America. And Unilever is going to donate all, all of its products created on May 21st to Disadvantaged. And it's you know, $14 million in product. And I, I just love that. And, and, and I also love that we're doing work for this island of Hawaii, which is very tourism-based. And uh, we have a video out called The Spirit of Aloha and how the Hawaiian Islanders are waiting for the right time for people to come to be able to visit them. All of those are the right kind of messages. And I'm proud that Edelman is part of hand-washing videos and spirit videos for, for health workers. So, yeah, that's yeah. that's what gives me hope every day, the work we do. Ashley, thank you so much for having me on, and I hope this was useful. Thank you, Richard. We really appreciate your time. And that's it for this episode of Future Fluency. Next episode, we'll chat with Dr. Jennifer Cavanaugh, senior political scientist at the RAND Corporation. In this period where people are so anxious and willing to cling to or looking for anything that can give them some kind of certainty, this makes their susceptibility to disinformation stronger. It also increases the incentives of groups um, who have nefarious aims to spread that disinformation. That's next time on Future Fluency. For guest bios and more resources, check out the show notes or the episode page at nacdonline.org slash podcast. Future Fluency is produced and edited by Bruno Falcon with production support from Carrie Sheehan. Special thanks to Jeanette Woods. Our theme song is composed by Kyle Oppenheimer. Future Fluency is a production of the National Association of Corporate Directors. For more information on NACD or to become a member, please visit nacdonline.org.